This morning, we're wrapping up our study of Isaiah, where we have been looking at these prophecies of the coming of King Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And and we've seen that there will be this day when King Jesus will return to rule and reign on his throne, where death will die, where sin will end, where all creation will be redeemed and restored, and all things, all things will be made new. And so we've, we've seen this beautiful picture of, of what is to come, our ultimate future. And I hope that you've been encouraged and inspired by diving deeper into the book of Isaiah and into these prophecies, into what the future holds for you as a follower of Jesus. But here's the question that, that has been nagging me over these past 10 weeks. Maybe it's a question that you have or a similar question to what you might have. Here it is. What about now? Like that's, that's great about this ultimate future that, that we have and that encourages me and I am longing for the day when King Jesus will return, when he will set all things right, when he will fix all that is broken, when he will restore all that is ruined, but what about today? What does it mean for us today? I've been walking through uh, just a difficult season. Uh, it's been a difficult season of ministry. It's been a difficult season personally. And when both of those things are hard, life can feel really, really challenging. And that's just where I find myself. And and we have all been in seasons like that. And as many of you know, my mom has been... um, navigating some pretty significant health challenges. I, was, I got to go home a couple weeks ago to New Jersey. I tried to go home for all her doctor's appointments. And I just really don't like going to this particular doctor. And he has nothing to do with him. He's a great doctor. He's, in fact, one of the best doctors out there. But there's just never any good news. Right? You go, and, and it's not that there isn't even any good news. It's always bad news. And that becomes really hard for me because the way I am wired is I want to fix things. I want to fix things. And um, to quote that great philosopher and that terrible rapper, Vanilla Ice, (laughs) if there's a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Like that's how I live a lot of the times. There's a problem, I can think of a solution. I can make it happen. I'm smart enough. I'm resourceful enough. If we just do these three things, we can figure it out. But if you've lived enough of life, you know that that there's lots of things in life that that doesn't actually work on. And it's been really hard for me to uh, watch my mom decline and suffer. It's been difficult to just sort of, I can't do anything about it. I just have to watch. And uh, over the the past 10 weeks, it's not just me. Over the past 10 weeks, I have sat with people who are in the midst of really difficult circumstances. I've sat with people in the midst of cancer, in the midst of infertility, in in the midst of job loss, relational uh, dysfunction, midst of grief of losing people that they love dearly. And some of you are here this morning and you are in your own season of difficulty, your own season of suffering. Maybe for you it's turmoil in your marriage or a debilitating disease, it's grief, or, or uh, it's just the, the sadness over a broken relationship. So what do you do with that today? It's great about our future, but what do we do when we're in the thick of suffering today? 
We've been studying all these wonderful prophecies about our future, but what about the present? Because sometimes our present sufferings feel overwhelming. And so this is a question that I want us to look at this morning. To do that, we're going to be in Romans 8, 18 to 25. If you have your Bibles, grab them, Romans 8, 18 to 25. This is a letter that Paul wrote, and Paul was a man who knew about suffering. And he wrote this to the church in Rome. Now, uh, many of you know me, and you know that I spent 15 years in corporate finance. I was an accounting major, a CPA, all of that. So I think in numbers a lot of times. Not as much as a pastor, but I still sort of think in numbers and equations and all of that. And so this morning, I want to give you an equation. Okay. Now, don't get nervous. You don't have to do math. I did the math. In fact, Paul did the math for us. So here's what I want to show you this morning. Can you put it up? Future glory is greater than present suffering. See, friends, no matter what you're facing today, here's what we can be sure of. Your future glory far outweighs your present suffering. So we wait with hope, and we wait with patience. We've been studying all of these prophecies. We know what our ultimate future holds, and listen to me, that matters for us today. We are people made for the future, living in the present. You were meant for glory. You were created for glory, more glory than you can even fathom or imagine. And if you could just catch a glimpse of it, it will take you through whatever circumstances, whatever disappointment, whatever suffering you're facing today. And so here's all I want to do. I want to walk through this passage together, and I want to take you through the four movements of this passage. And here it is. First calculate the glory. Second, describe the glory. Third, groan for glory. Fourth, wait for glory. Calculate the glory, describe the glory, groan for glory, and wait for glory. Okay, that's where we're going. You with me? All right, let's go. Romans 8, 18. Here's what Paul writes. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That word there that Paul uses, consider, is a mathematical term. It means to calculate, to to reckon, to take into account. Paul is saying, I have done the math and following Jesus is worth it. I've done the calculations, I've done the math, and I know that the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And Paul writes this in another letter to the church at Corinth. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our present sufferings are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs everything else. Glory is is weightiness, it's significance. This life is thin and shallow. It's been infected by sin, and we were not made for sin. We were made for glory. We have more significance than we realize. And God's plan by sending Jesus Christ is not to just sort of give us a get-out-of-hell pass, to get us into heaven by the skin of our teeth. That's not what it's about. God's plan is to make us glorious in Jesus. And I think so often we miss the grandeur of what God has for us. That when God's purpose and glory for you is fully and finally fulfilled, you will be fully recognizable as you, but you will be radiant with the kind of glory that if you could see it now, you would not be able to bear it. That's your 
destiny. What Paul wants us to see is that we, uh, that he wants us to see that we might be filled with hope. So, so that we would see how light our present suffering is compared to the eternal weight of glory that we're headed for. Paul doesn't say there's going to be suffering, so just accept it. Paul says there will be suffering, but it's worth it. The modern view, the modern secular view of suffering says there is nothing beyond this life. So all of your happiness, all of your joy is rooted right here. And so when suffering comes along, it takes away your happiness. And there's no, uh, there's no hope. There's no remedy. There's no consolation. And so enjoy your life right now. Don't think about the sorrows or the sadness. YOLO. You only live once. Enjoy. Have fun. And Paul says, no, calculate the glory. Think about the future as much as you can. If you are anxious or fearful or discouraged, think about your ultimate future. Because if Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, if he really is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if God is who he says he is, then he is your father. Then all your bad things will turn to good. All your good things can never be lost. And the best things, the best things are yet to come. Think about that glory until it overwhelms you. Our culture tells us to experience present joys and don't think about the coming sadness. But Jesus says, I will equip you and empower you to experience present sadness and to think about the coming joys. And that's the thing that's going to get you through. That's the thing that's going to strengthen you to face anything. Peter Kraft writes this. Spiritual death means hell. Now suppose both death and hell were utterly defeated. Suppose the the fight was fixed. Suppose God took you on a crystal ball trip into your future and you saw with indubitable certainty that despite everything, despite your sin, your smallness, your stupidity, you could have free for the asking your whole crazy heart's deepest desire. Heaven, eternal joy. Would you not return fearless and singing? What can earth do to you if you are guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a millionaire fearing the loss of a penny. Less a scratch on a penny. Your present suffering, the chronic illness, the the unemployment, the trouble in your marriage, whatever despair, whatever sadness, whatever suffering you are facing right now is not worth comparing with the glory that will one day be revealed in you. Do the math. See that following Jesus is worth it. Calculate the glory. That's movement one. Here's movement two. Describe the glory. Because the question we have to ask now is, okay, calculate the glory. What what is the glory? What exactly is this future glory? Are God's promises really worth this life that we can sometimes feel like we're stuck in? Because sometimes our present suffering feels overwhelming. So, Paul, what is this glory? And that's what he tells us in verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Paul pulls pulls back the curtains, and he shows us the immensity of God's redemptive plans and purposes. Because God's promises aren't just about you and me. It's about all of creation. There's one word in the Greek for the two words that are translated in English as eager expectation. 
And it's, it's, it's a little bit hard to, to describe that word. We don't have one word in English for that, but it, it means something like this. The entire universe, all of creation, this is what Paul is saying, all of creation is like a bottle of champagne. And it's not like Martini and Rossi. It's like a really good bottle of champagne, like Cristal, okay? That, that is a, like a bottle of champagne that's about to burst open. One scholar says that, it, that it's as if creation is on tiptoe. It's craning its neck in eager anticipation at what is coming next. Creation can hardly wait for what is coming. So then how can you and I sit back in complacency? Creation yearns for this day when we will be rulers of creation, daughters of the king. You are royalty. That's just not a nice thing to say. That is who you are. And, and you will be restored to our original greatness. There is a glory coming that will be so extraordinarily powerful and beautiful that when it falls on us, it will envelop all of creation and glorify it along with us. Do you see your future glory? Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. God did not create the world to have death and decay. It's not how he intended the world to be. This world that we live in today is not normal. Creation has been subjected to frustration and futility. In the beginning, God created the world, and, and what did he say? He said it was good. But then we know what happened. We know the story. We sinned. We rebelled against God and we decided to live apart from him. We decided to be self-sufficient and self-reliant and everything fell apart. Instead of all things being made new, all things were subjected to death and decay. Creation is not as beautiful or as majestic or as great as it was originally meant to be. God created the universe not for futility and, and mediocrity, but for praise and for glory. And it's as if God says to creation, shh, not yet, not yet. But futility does not have the final word because God always has the final word. And there will be this day when God's purposes for this broken world will be accomplished, when all of creation will be set free. And instead of frustration, there will only be fulfillment. I want us to pause for a moment, and I want you to think in your, in your mind, get this picture of the most beautiful place you've ever been. You see it? Most beautiful place you've ever been. Now, can you imagine what that place will be like when all of creation will become fully what God has always intended it to be? Some of the most beautiful places I've been are the backwaters of Kerala, India, where my parents are from, or standing on the cliffs of Mohair in Ireland. And none of that compares to what's ahead for us. Nothing compares to what is coming. Instead of death and decay, there will be newness and strength. Instead of pain, there will be joy. God will pop the cork and the whole universe will burst forth in joy and gladness. And you and I will be there to experience all of it. Do you see the immensity, the magnitude of your future glory? It's nothing less than a new universe ruled by a new humanity. You and I. 
It's as if God grabs us by the shoulders and he looks into our eyes and he says, your present sufferings are not worth comparing with what I am planning for you in this redeemed and restored creation. See, God doesn't offer us an escape from our present sufferings. He offers us future glory that far outweighs our present suffering. Friends, there is a world coming that will be far better than the one we live in. And it's not the streets of gold or the gates of pearl that will make it worth it. It is God himself. He is the treasure. He is the reward. In the end, we get to be with him forever in a renewed and restored and redeemed creation. This is our future glory. Do you see it? Movement one, calculate the glory. Movement two, describe the glory. Movement three, groan for glory. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. First, creation groans. The word groan in the Greek is the same word used in Greek literature to describe a battlefield scene after the dust and the smoke have settled and the fighting has ended. And all you hear are the dying groans of the wounded soldiers. It's used to describe the kind of pain that a woman experiences when she's in labor. And this is before the epidural. In, in this day, in Paul's day, Paul's writing and, and he's talking about labor. It's far more painful, not just because of the lack of medicine, but, but it meant certain death for most women. That's, that's what he's talking about. And Paul says creation will groan like that. Creation groans at the death and decay that it is experiencing. Creation groans as in the pains of childbirth. This is a pain, though, that is creating new life. It doesn't mean it hurts any less, but it's a pain that, that, has, that is, brings new life. That pain is transformed. Creation is waiting for this new life to appear. But it's not just creation that groans. We groan. We experience frustration and futility all the time, don't we? We are finite creatures with infinite ambition. We're always looking for more than we can accomplish, and that leads to frustration. And even when we do achieve the thing that we want, even when we do achieve greatness that, that, that we dream of, it's just never enough. Music icon Madonna says it like this. I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And, and then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and probably never will. That's Madonna. But it's not just her, is it? It's every one of us. Because everything your heart most desires, uh, good looks, good health, a skinnier version of yourself, success and satisfaction in your work, happy, healthy relationships, everything you want in the world is like a vapor. It's like when you go outside on a really cold day and, and you see your breath. You can't hold on to it, can you? 
It's gone like that. That's why we groan. And yet Paul says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. When you put your trust in Jesus, um, the Spirit comes to live in you. And, and the first fruits of an incoming harvest were, the, were their first batch. And, and they were a foretaste of what is to come. It's like when you uh, plant tomatoes and you get that first baby tomato. It's a foretaste of what is to come. And today, the Spirit is making us internally alive, giving us gradual freedom from sin and death, making us more like Jesus. But this is only the first fruits. It's just a taste of the complete and total freedom that we will experience from sin and death that, that one day will be ours. But the Spirit has implanted in our hearts glimpses, foretastes of the world to come. You've tasted glory, so your soul will always long for and groan for that in this world. You will always long for the world as it was meant to be. At some level, deep down in each one of our hearts, we know that this world is not as it should be. You look at your own life and, and things haven't gone the way you would like. You've experienced pain and heartache and your soul groans at that. You look at the world around us and you see violence and war and poverty and homelessness and you know that things are not as they should be. We groan at our worst moments but we also groan at our best moments. I told you that, that I was just in New Jersey and uh, one night I got to spend some time with one of my very best friends that, uh, that I've known since I was in seventh grade science class. Her name's Tara and we've been friends for over 36 years. And, and she's this friend that has seen the best of me and the worst of me. And, and some of my very best memories in life, she's part of. And uh, her parents are in this point in their lives where they're downsizing, and so they decided to sell their family home. And it's this home that she'd grown up in all her life, and where I practically grew up. It was my second home. I was there all the time. And so uh, we would just spend so many hours on her parents' back porch, so many summer nights. And summer nights in New Jersey are beautiful. I don't care what anybody thinks, it's true. <laughs> but we would spend so many summer nights on this back porch as uh, teenagers and as college kids. Uh, and, and so we got together for just this one last night, we called it. Uh, one last night, and we got together with a bunch of our friends, and we sat on her parents' back porch, and we told these stories, and we laughed. And we laughed so hard that we cried. And, and there was just this one moment where I sort of just sat back, and I just wanted to take a mental picture, because I wanted to hold on to this moment. I didn't want it to end. Have you ever felt like that? Where, where you're just in the middle of this amazing moment and you just want to hold on to it. You don't want it to end. You don't want it to slip through your hands and yet it does. See, even in our best moments, our souls groan within us. And when you groan inwardly and long to be made whole forever, there's nothing wrong with you. Your heart is aching to be rid of sin and futility, and that is evidence of the Spirit at work in your life. It's a, it's a holy discontent. It's a sacred yearning that you're experiencing. It's a yearning for unseen things, 
things that are yet to come. We wait for this day when we will no longer have to walk in these broken bodies. Listen to me, there are mornings I wake up and I pull a muscle. I can't wait for that not to be true. We groan and long for a home that has yet been realized. The redemption of our bodies. This is what we wait for. C.S. Lewis writes this. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You were made for another world. You were made for glory. You were made for a world where joy is everlasting, where love is unending and peace is enduring. This life was not meant to satisfy us. This life was meant to awaken us to something greater, something that is to come. And that leads us to the final movement. Wait for glory. Verse 24. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait for our future glory. We wait patiently and we wait in hope. We do not despair over the disappointments of this life. We, we do not lose hope over setbacks that we experience. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we know that it will be worth it. We are filled with hope even in our suffering because we know God is doing something in us. Friends, God is teaching me something right now. Even in this season of difficulty, he is teaching me what it means to depend on him. And I can honestly tell you that thus far in my life, I have never experienced such intimacy with God as I have right now. And I don't know if that would be true if it wasn't this, this difficulty where I need to depend on him in this way. Does that make sense? Grief expert Elizabeth Kubler-Ross writes this. The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These people have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. Beautiful people do not just happen. Listen to me, whatever you're facing this morning, God is doing something in you, in your suffering. He's forming you and he's shaping you to be more like Jesus. God is looking for people who can rule the world and our present suffering is helping us become those kind of people. And friends, we have only begun to see what God is doing. The best is yet to come. The night of darkness and despair will end. The sun will rise. Our king will reign on his throne and you and I will rule alongside him. We hope for what we do not see, but we know it's coming, so we wait patiently. We live expectantly. We are on our tiptoes along with all creation, craning our necks, waiting for what God has promised. So let this hope of future glory captivate your imagination and fill your heart with hope. C.S. Lewis writes this again. God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, 
though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for, nothing less. He meant what he said. Friends, God meant what he said. What he has promised he will do, so calculate the glory. Your present suffering, the the chronic illness, the unemployment, the trouble in your marriage, the, the, the grief, the despair, the sadness, the disease, whatever you are facing is not worth comparing with the glory that will one day be revealed in us. In us. Do the math. Following Jesus is worth it. Calculate the glory. But then describe the glory. And when you see the immensity and the magnitude of God's redemptive purposes and plans, allow it to overwhelm you. Because it's not just about you and me, it's about all of creation. Instead of frustration, there will be fulfillment. Instead of death and decay, there will be strength and newness. Instead of pain, there will be joy. God will pop the cork and all of the universe will burst forth with joy and gladness and you and I will be there to experience it. Do you see the immensity of your future glory? It's nothing less than a brand new universe ruled by a brand new humanity. You and I. And yet, we recognize that that in the present, we groan for glory. That deep down in our hearts, we we know that, that things in this world, in our own lives, are not as they should be. You were made for another world. You were made for a world where joy is everlasting, where love is unending and peace is enduring. And this life was never meant to satisfy us. It was meant to awaken us to something far greater, something that is to come. And so we wait for glory. We wait patiently and we wait with hope. We do not despair over disappointments and setbacks. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we know that it's gonna be worth the wait. We are filled with the hope even in our suffering because we know God is doing something in us. He's making us the kind of people that he's always intended us to be. Our king has come, our king will come again and there will be this day where he will right every wrong, where he will fix all that is broken, where he will make every sad thing come untrue. That day is sure, that day is coming, but until that day we wait patiently and we wait with hope because we know that our future glory far outweighs our present suffering. We know the end of the story and listen to me, the end of the story is just the beginning for us. Do the math. Jesus is worth it. Look to Jesus and you will find him. And with him, you will find everything that you will ever need. Let me pray for us. Father, we long for the day when King Jesus will return. Well, he will set all things right. Well, when death will die, when sin will end, when all creation will be made new. But until that day, help us to wait patiently and help us to wait with hope, knowing that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to what's ahead, knowing that our future glory far outweighs our present suffering. And may the the holy discontent that we experience, may may that move us to share your love and your goodness with those around us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.